All right, good morning. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah, we had some great worship. It was so good. Uh, I just love these, these songs. I, I, I love, in fact, we started out with an old hymn and then a couple of newer ones, and it's just wonderful. It's just good to be, and to see new faces every week and see you guys here. It is good to be with family today. Thank you so much for coming. And for our Facebook friends, God bless you guys. We're glad you're tuning in this morning, and we pray that you'll just join us and be part of the family today. Hey, don't forget the worship app. I always forget to announce that in first service. Try to catch it in the second service. If you've got the version deal on your, on your electronic device, if you go to that bottom corner in version, then you'll see a bunch of lines. You click there. You'll get more, and then you go to events, and all the scriptures and the slides and all that will be there, and there'll be a place there um, where you can take notes. Well, listen, hey, we're in week number two of our brand new series entitled Better Homes and Gardens. Better homes make for better gardens. Now, here's the deal. If you remember last week, um, the, the sermon video song was uh, Etta James, At Last, you know. I really appreciate the way y'all got into that. You know, it's kind of cool. You know, at last. We need Mama T to sing this sometimes. We, you know, that could almost be a Christian song. Just, it just almost could be. But anyway, and, it, and, that's, and that fit the tenor so well because you remember last week we left Adam and Eve and they were like in love. I mean, it was perfect paradise. Everything was wonderful. And when, when God, you know, gave Adam, you know, gave Eve to Adam, oh, my goodness, he says, oh, at last. There's just one for me now, one bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he looked around and saw all the animals had mates, and now he had one too, and it was wonderful. And then, and then God married them in the garden, and, and they had the first marriage ceremony, and they became one flesh, and it was paradise, and it was wonderful. And then this week it's not. This week we got paradise lost and redeemed. Paradise Lost. And that's the tenor of the second psalm. If you've listened to the words, I challenge you to get Google that um, and, and find the words of that because it's a real challenge. The, the guy who, who wrote the song is dealing with the fact that you know, his, his career as a singer is pulling him away from his family. And that's the reality of life after the garden, after the garden. But the good news is, yeah, yeah, paradise is going to be lost today, but the really good news is that there is redemption. There's redemption. So last week, everything was wonderful. And then today, then today, something happens. Now, I, if I had time, and I already figured out I don't have time, but if I had time, we would actually go through Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, which I know you know the story. I, I, know, I already know you know the story, but it never grows old. I was reading it this morning at my desk, just kind of getting it in my head, refreshing it, and it just amazed me. It just amazed me. Um, by the way, let me just say this. I didn't say this in first service. Can I say it in the second service? Don't have a conversation with the devil. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. So that's exactly what happened. So, so they're there. You know, things are wonderful. It's paradise. You know, Adam and Eve are in love and all this. And then one day Satan walks up. Satan walks up and, and he has this conversation with Eve. Okay? And so, you know, in the form of a serpent, uh, it was Satan in the form of a serpent. He kind of like borrowed the serpent. And, and the serpent becomes his, his mouthpiece. And so the serpent says... Um, did, um, did, did God really say that you couldn't eat from the trees of the garden? Well, Eve, you know, Eve said, well, now, wait a minute now. Hold, hold on just a second. No, no, God didn't say that. And what's really funny is she gets it wrong. 
you know. But so God didn't really say we couldn't eat of all the trees. He just simply said that we could not eat or touch. Now, that's the part that really wasn't in there. I don't know if he got, she got it from Adam or she just came up with it on her own. Uh, but he said, no, no. God said if you can't eat of the tree and nor can you touch it because as sure as you do, you're going to die. And then that sly serpent, Satan, says, you won't die. In fact, here's the deal. God's holding out on you. He's holding out because God knows as soon as you eat from that tree, you're going to be just like him. You'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll become like a God yourself. So Eve kind of thinks about that and ponders it and looks at the tree and she says, you know what? That is one good looking tree. Now that has got to be good food to eat. In fact, I just like looking at it. In fact, you know what? I've always wanted to be just a little smarter, a little wiser. And so the Bible says she takes the food and she, the tree, and she eats from the fruit. And then Adam's standing there, you know, you know Adam, standing around. You know Adam because you're probably married to him. You know, just standing around and na, 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 and say, here, have a bite. And he takes a bite and, well, paradise is lost. And that's where we want to pick it up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, because it's so sudden. It's so sudden. And that's why sin is sometimes. Well, the Bible says, in verse number 7, the first part, the Bible says, you know, at that moment, just, just like that. See, because you might be saying, why are we talking about sin in Genesis 3 in a family series? Because at that moment, when Adam and Eve made that choice to rebel against God, uh, to disobey God, the whole world changed. And when the whole world changed, family life changed. See, family life changed. So that's why it's important we understand about the parameters of what happened in the garden because the parameters of what happened in the garden are still what happened in our lives today. It's happening in our lives today. So at that moment, their eyes were open. And let me just kind of give you a list. I wrote a list down. You know, at that very moment, in one split second of time, one split second of time, you know, life went to death. Um, perfection, you know, pain and perfection came into the world. Perfection was lost. Pain came into the world. Um, uh, light became dark in a split second of time. Um, wholeness. Wholeness. You know, the way they were one flesh. Wholeness became brokenness. Um, sinlessness became sinfulness. And this unique ability to, to be at perfect ease at one another, all of a sudden they were very uneasy. With one another. All that happened in a split moment of time when they choose to rebel against God. See, sin's a big deal. Sin's a big deal. And I want to just teach you a couple things to start off the message this morning. I want to teach you a couple things about sin that apply. And I know many of you are, are Christ followers, and that's great. That's good. Some of you may not be. Some of you listening on Facebook may not be. Um, we'll talk about that, how you, can, how you can become a Christ follower in just a few minutes. But, but you might, you, most of you are probably Christ followers. So it's really important we understand the ramifications um, of sin and how we fall into sin. So the first thing I want to teach you this morning is this. Um, Satan and culture will bait you will bait you, okay, to sin and then condemn you when you do it. Now, notice what I wrote there. It's very important. Satan will. Satan will, will tempt you and bait you, just like, just like Eve, you know, you won't surely die. So Satan will come along into your world, your marriage, your parenting, your career, whatever it might be. He will come in there and will bait you to sin. 
You know, God doesn't care. No one will find out. You're the exception to the rule. He will do that, okay, and then turn right around and condemn you when you do. We'll talk about that just a little bit later on. But here's the crazy part I want you to get. Culture will do the same thing. Your culture today, even your friends sometimes, your friends you know, will say, oh, you deserve to be happy. Go ahead and do it. No one will find out. You know, all right? Culture will bait you to sin and then turn right around and condemn you when you do that. Andy Stanley said it this way one time. I remember several years ago. He said, you know, culture will bait you to the edge of a cliff and then condemn you when you jump. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you're, you're watching porn. I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe you're addicted, man. How'd you get addicted, man? And the same one said, you know, hey, this will make you happy, then condemns you. That's what Satan and culture will do. And then when that happens, when that happens, then something, there's a fruit that comes along, if you will, and then comes um, shame and regret. And may I add to that list, guilt. And that's exactly what happens to Adam and Eve. When they eat this fruit, all of a sudden they had this shame and this nakedness come in. They, they all of a sudden recognized the fact that something had changed and that they were sinners. Now, the second thing I want to share with you today in this teaching point is this. Guilt and shame are not the same. Guilt and shame are not the same. Now, here's the deal. Guilt is what we feel when we fail. Guilt is what we feel when we fail. Now let me say this. Guilt is not necessarily a bad thing. I tell you why. You know, especially for Christ followers, you know, Christ followers, if when we feel that guilt, if we're Christ followers, it tends to point us in the way of repentance. See, it, it leads us to the path of repentance. So so when we feel this guilt, it nudges us toward repentance, which is turning away from our sin and turning toward God. So guilt may not be necessarily a bad thing. But here's the deal. What about shame? Well, shame is when that failure becomes our identity. Now, it's kind of odd, by the way. I'll just give you this one for free. It's kind of strange that in our culture today, guilt and shame are disappearing. It seems like you can do anything and not feel guilty. And, and you know, Judy has a saying she loves to say, and, you know, she uses it in the context of shame, but, but she'll say, I'm embarrassed for them. You know, it seems like culture today, one, has lost sight of guilt, good or bad resulting thereof, and certainly have lost shame. Anything goes, feels good, do it. There's no guilt and there's no shame. But for the child of God, I need to teach you something. It's a dangerous thing when shame and that shame, when that failure becomes your identity. Okay? You know, when we fail, if we're not careful, we tend to say, oh, I'm a failure. When you fail. Now, a while back, a preacher preached this, and I got it, I get it, I understand it, and I probably even agree with it. But he said this one day, he was trying to prove that we were sinners, because some people say, I, I don't sin. Well, you know, here's the deal. You know, he said, so if you, what do you call a person who lies? Well, you call him a liar. Okay, well, then that makes you a sinner. And then he said, you know, what do you call a person who, who steals? Well, you call him a thief, and that makes you a sinner. So he went on and on with this. And I get that, I understand that. Okay, but I want you to be careful that you don't lose your identity in Christ. Okay, you know, if you are a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, okay, you are that first and above everything else. You are, listen, 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 you are God's child. 
And nothing is going to change that. So what you so what if I lie? Okay. You are a child of God who sinned by lying. But you're still a child of God. Are you getting that? Do you understand that? You know, if, if you should steal something, okay, okay, that's a sin. So you are a child of God who sinned by stealing something. But don't lose your identity. Because when you lose your identity of who you are in Christ, that's a dangerous thing. Things go from bad to worse. Bad to worse. So Satan will bait you, okay, and then condemn you when you sin. Culture will do the same. And then guilt is not necessarily a bad thing because it should lead a child of God to repentance, to turning from that sin. But be careful that shame doesn't become your identity. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Somewhere in your past is, is a big sin. And you've worn the scarlet letter. The scarlet letter. Oh, we Christians used to be so good. You know, somebody would do one of those sins like, you know, the, you know whatever it might be, and we'd all go, scarlet letter, you'll always be that. No! You know, what you'll always be if you trusted Jesus is a child of God. That's what you'll always be. I mean, I am a sinner, but I am redeemed by grace. I am redeemed by God's grace. So, so we've got Adam and Eve here, and who, here they are. Okay, so what are they going to do? They know something's happened. They know there's been a dramatic shift in their world. Okay? So you know what they're going to do? It's the same thing you try to do. You try to fix it. You know, when you sin, you try to fix it. It might be cover-up. It might be lying. It may be, you know, rarely, rarely do we do the right thing and go and confess it to God. We normally try to fix things or cover it up. Well, in the case of Adam and Eve, in the second part of verse number 7, here's what they did. So they, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So again, you know, if you'll take a member, the, the nakedness was a symbol of their sinfulness now. So they tried to cover up their nakedness or cover up their sinfulness. And the way they decided to do it was sewing together some fig leaves. Okay? All right? Now here's the deal. From my point of view, you know, this is the birth of religion. This is the birth of religion. And what we do is, is we try to cover our sin, so we come up with a religion to do that. Um, E. Stanley Jones came up with a really good quote, a really good definition. He says this, Religions are man's quest for God. Religions are man's quest for God, and the gospel is God's quest for man. Got that? Let me read to you again. Religion... Religions are man's quest for God, and the gospel is God's quest for man. There are many religions, but one gospel. Now, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. You know, but you're fixing to disagree with me, but hang with me. Hang with me, okay? So, religions, plural, if you notice that, are man's quest for God. The gospel, singular, is God's quest for man. There are many religions. Now, let me just say this. This is the part you might push back on. Okay? All religions are the same. All religions are the same. You say, why, how can you say that? Because all religions are the same. See, the gospel is so different. It's so one of a kind. I just can't lump it in with religion. See, religion is about one word. Do. Do. Think... Pick your religion and think about it. 
It's all about doing something. You may go, go bathe in a particular river in India, or, or you might go climb a mountain on your knees in, in, in the, middle, uh, the Middle East or the, the Far East. Regardless of what it is, it's man's attempt, man's quest to reach for God. And it always involves doing something. And then there's the gospel. This one-of-a-kind gospel. Because while religions, this quest for God based on religion, is I've got to do something, then there's this. About, a, about a, the God-man who died on a Roman cross and right before he breathed his last breath and yielded his spirit, cries out, it is finished! It is done! It is done! And that's the difference between the gospel and that's the difference between religions. And that's why I say all religions are the same. They all tell you you've got to do, 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 do. And then the gospel comes along and says, no, it's done. That's a huge difference. You know, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul writes and says these words. He says, for no one, somebody say no one, no one, no one can ever be made right with God by doing. No one can be made right with God by doing. He goes on and says uh, what the law commands. The law simply shows us how simple we are. The answer is not in doing the answer is in done. And that's the difference. And if you're going to make it to heaven, you've got to go the done way, not the do way. If you're going to make it to heaven, you've got to go the done way and not to do it. You've got to trust what Jesus Christ has already done on a Roman cross. And I'm going to tell you something. Guys, if, we don't get anything else, if you don't get anything else from, from today you know, in the house of God, take that one home. Because so many of us, even believers in Christ, have this propensity, this tendency to do, do, do. That's somehow we got to appease God. And that, and that when I get it right, it's, it's Tuesday. You know, Monday wasn't so good. It was kind of a wreck. But Tuesday, I'm getting it right. We end the day going, I must have made God happy today. The cross made God happy. Your faith in the, in the Christ of the cross did it all. Did it all. You don't need to appease God. You can't appease God. Jesus Christ did it on the cross. Well, the second point is this. You know, man's best effort to fix the sin problem falls woefully short. No matter what it is, no matter what, how, what we're going to start, what we're going to stop, what we're going to do, okay, it falls woefully short. Nothing, our best can never replace his best. We need to understand that. I tell you, we've got to nail that down in our hearts that our best, no matter what it is, can never replace his best. So, now we have a, a couple. Uh, they've left marital bliss behind. They left paradise behind. And they're in this new world. And I think verse 8 here in Romans, excuse me, Genesis 3.8 really nails down the weight of the fall. Okay? So let me set you up here. Okay? Imagine with me. Life is perfect. I mean, you know, they're in love. There's no sin. There's no pain. There's no suffering. Um, every day is like, like a day in southern Illinois when the dogwood trees are blooming, the redbud trees are blooming, the birds are singing. There, there's never a rainy day. Did you know that? There's never a rainy day. At that point, the garden was watered by a mist coming up from the ground. So every day, you know, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need the weather channel. The weather channel would be out of business. You ever, there are no funeral homes, no hospitals, you know, no marriage counselors. What a world. That's what it was. And here's the best part. Every day, in this case it says 
in the cool of evening breezes, every day, God would show up. God would show up. The creator of the universe would come walking in the garden. And I could just hear Adam going, Adam, Eve, 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 it's, it's, it's God. It's God. Come on, let's go. And they would run toward God every day. Wow. It was beautiful. Well, after the fall, after that moment in time, the Bible says when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. And here's the sad part. So they hid from him among the trees. They hid from him among the trees. They, they used to run. Oh, 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 God, it's so good. It's good, so good to be with you today. Eve, isn't this awesome? Yes, it's awesome. And after the fall, they didn't run to God, Terry. They ran away from God. Now, I'm going to give you something that's very valuable. Very valuable. Here's the deal. When what used to bring us to God caused us to run from God, we know we're in deep weeds. When what used to cause us to run to God caused us to run from God, that's a warning sign. A warning sign. I, I love my little GPS. You know, I'm, I'm a techo guy. And I love it because, you know, it tells you where you are, you know. Tell, it tells you where you, how to get where you want to go. It, it's a great thing. And, and so here's the deal. I like it, too, for another reason. See, I, you know, Judy's little Jetta car, it's not a sports car, but it's kind of sporty, you know. And I love to do the race car driver thing. I love to, you know, when we get on these curvy roads, even in southern Illinois, there's some good curves. And, you know, I get in there, and, 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 and so what if, you know, with my GPS, what if I see a curve coming up, and it says 55 miles an hour? So I know that if I'm doing the speed limit, I can make the curve, okay? But here's what the GPS does. It tells me about the next curve. So what if, what if this curve is 55 miles an hour, but right past that curve, there's a hard term turn that requires 25 miles an hour. Well, with my GPS, I can see that ahead of time. I look at the map, and here I am in this curve, and I can already see. So even before I get to that sharp turn that would certainly lead to disaster, I've already got my foot on the brake. Because the GPS has warned me. Well, when the things that used to bring us to God cause us to run from God, we know we're in deep trouble. Can I just lay it out there for you? Church. Perhaps you remember a time when you just couldn't wait to go to church. I mean, you loved it. You loved, you loved being with the people of God, and, and you loved the singing, and, and in regards to who was speaking, you, you loved hearing the Word of God being taught. It was just great. And then all of a sudden, there's an angst in your spirit. All of a sudden, you start finding ways and reasons why you shouldn't go to church. How can you not go to church? That's a warning sign. It's like God saying, danger, curve ahead. You remember you used to love the Word of God? 
I mean, you know, you used to actually do the quiet time thing. You'd get up in the morning, you know, and, and you have a, get an email devotion, or perhaps you had our daily bread, or you had something like that, and you would read that, and, and, and boy, you loved it when the scripture, like, boom, like, boom in your life. It just come alive. I mean, all of a sudden, wow, God wrote that just for me today. I was discouraged, and here's a word of encouragement. Wow, how great is that? And then all of a sudden, you find yourself pushing back. All of a sudden, you don't want to. You don't want to hear the preach, preacher preach it, and you don't even want to read it. That's a warning sign. That's a. It's like God's way of saying, "Warning! You're fixing to crash." Even brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we used to, man, hey, man, let's get together and have some coffee. And you guys, he liked Jesus. Actually, he loved Jesus, and you love Jesus. And you sit down and talk about Jesus and talk about life. It was so good. And all of a sudden, you find yourself not wanting to be there with him or her. Those are all warning signs. So, so I just need to ask you, got any curbs coming up in your life? Is your GPS telling you, watch out? Is there something going on in your life where all of a sudden you're pushing back from the things that used to draw you to God and now you find that they don't? Be careful. How many of y'all have a bathroom scale? Yeah, I, I, I think everybody, if you got a bathroom, you got to have a bathroom scale. You know, I've got a bathroom scale. It all depends whether I like it or hate it. Yeah, yeah, it all depends. You know, if I'm doing really well, you know, if I'm eating right, you know, and things... I, I have great anticipation. I can't wait for Monday to come to get on the scale. Woo-hoo! Let's hop on that sucker. Woo! A pound and a half. Boom! Boom! Laka laka. Wow. But there are days when we're tempted. And there's breakfast, pizza, and donuts. Judy didn't like the fact that I brought this. They had leftovers. I thought about the kids in Africa. And I said, I've got to eat this for them. <laughs> well, you know how that is. And so all of a sudden then, all of a sudden, when Monday comes, it's time to hop on the scale after donuts and breakfast pizza. And she's been out of town for a week, so we won't talk about that. Um, and so now, oh, wait a minute. Now the scale's my enemy. See, see when you find that pushback, it's a warning. Any diabetics here? You either enjoy sticking your finger or you hate it. When you've been a good boy, good girl, you can't wait to stick your finger. Come on, push that blood out. Yeah, 96. Yeah. Come on, bring it on. But after those donuts, you think I'm going to stick my finger? Yeah. Meet or you stay on the counter. My friend becomes an enemy. That's, I, want you to, I want you to grab this and take it home. You know, if there is something in your life that, that is godly and you used to enjoy it and you want to be a part of it, now you don't, it is a warning sign from God. Well, when, when they hid, it was a warning sign from God. Well, let's move on. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. So, then, then the Lord God um, called out to the man. And he, in the English, it translates this way. Um, where are you? Now, it's not like God had one of those moments. You know, have you ever occurred to you that God never has a senior moment? He never does. 
So it's, it's, not like, it's not like he forgot or, whoops, where are you, Adam? You're hiding. So it's just hide and seek and I can't find you. Really, the question is deeper than that. The question is, is Adam, do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? And maybe perhaps, maybe perhaps more importantly, Adam, why are you there? Why are you there? I mean, every day, Adam couldn't wait to be with God, and all of a sudden, he's hiding from God. Hey, Adam, do you know where you are? Can I ask you that question? Do you know where you are spiritually? Do you know where you are? Do you know why you are there? It's a really great question. Adam, where are you? And and Adam says, oh, well, I heard you walking in the garden. Again, that would normally be a time to run to God. I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I was sinful. And I was acutely aware of my sinfulness. I heard you, and I ran from you. See, this is new. There's a great verse, 1 John 4, 18, that says this. You know, there is no fear in love. So up to this point in the garden of perfection, man, there's no fear in love. Adam just couldn't wait to be with God. Eve couldn't wait to be with God. There was no fear um, in love because perfect love, you know, drives out fear. But then in a moment of time, it changed. You know this. There's some sin out there that if you do it, boom, your life's not going to change for 15 minutes. It's going to change your last breath. Am I right? You know that. You know that. Well, the verse continues... Fear involves punishment. They weren't sure how God was going to respond to this. Fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Adam was complete in love in paradise, but after the fall, he was not complete in love anymore. Wow. What a price. What a price. Well, in verse number 11, God asked two questions. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you you were a sinner? Who told you you had sinned? Now, now let me give you one. The, the first answer is this. It was Satan. Satan. You know, in Job chapter 1 and verse number 6, I believe it is, the Bible says that Satan the accuser, Satan the accuser came before God. The very same Satan who will egg you on will then accuse you. The inciter becomes the accuser. The inciter becomes the accuser. So I'm sure as soon as you know, he told Eve, Hey, Eve, you won't surely die. And as soon as she took a bite, bam, the accuser said, Oh, you're in deep weeds. God will never love, God will never love you. You are D-O-N-E done. You are T-O-A-S-T, burnt, toast. You're in trouble. And then... Adam and Eve grew something when they sinned, and it's called a conscious. All of a sudden, that conscious was spurring on guilt and shame and all these different things. Who told you that you were sinned? And then, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And it's funny because Adam really avoids both questions. He avoids both questions. But he does answer one in a roundabout way. Look at verse number 12. Here's what it says. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Let me reword that to make it really clear. Now, God, you need to understand something. Does that sound like your prayer life? It sounds like mine. I always want to tell God why I sinned. 
So, yes, God, I admit to you, I ate the fruit. But here's what you've got to understand. It's not my fault. Sound like your prayer life? Sounds like mine. I, yeah, I, I ate fruit. But it wasn't my fault. Here's the deal, God. You probably know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. God, here's the deal. It was the woman. It was the one. Isn't this funny? Isn't this funny? The same guy who sang Etta James at last now is accusing the woman. Isn't that funny how sin does that? Sin can take the strongest marriage and rip it apart. Mar- you know, sin can take the strongest marriage and rip it apart. It's the woman. It's the woman. It's the one you gave me. Oops. See, he killed two birds with one stone. He said, it's not my fault. See, yeah, I sinned, but it wasn't my fault because here's the deal. The woman gave me the fruit and you gave me the woman. So see, God, you're guilty by association. If Yeah, come on. Here's the deal. You know this is true. You know, here it is, God. Okay, if you hadn't given me the woman, the woman wouldn't have been there to give me the fruit. He actually believed it. It's the woman's fault, and it's your fault because you gave me the woman. Well, God moves on in verse number 13. So then the Lord God um, asked the woman, what have you done? What have you done? Well, she said this, the serpent deceived me, and that's why I ate it. Now, the woman lies. Or she just didn't tell the truth. Is that the same thing? Yeah, I thought it was. Here's the deal. She's saying that the reason she ate was deceived. No, no, can I go back to Genesis 3, 6? You know, you won't surely die and all that. So Eve is looking at the fruit and said, you know what? That would be really good to eat. Did you hear just Satan whispering? No. Mm-mm. And you know what? It's just good to look at. I can just imagine a fruit bowl on my table just full of this fruit. All the neighbors, oh wait, there aren't any neighbors. They would come in and go, oh, look at that bowl of fruit. I've never seen such unusual fruit. So she said, it's good food. It's good to look at. And you know what? I always want to be wiser. And this fruit will surely make me wiser. And when was the Bible say? So she ate. Do you want to know why Eve ate the fruit? She wanted to. She wanted to. And can I be very candid with us today? Do you want to know why we sin? We want to. We want to. We like sin. Sin can feel good. Sin can feel like, hmm. That's why we sin. See, see, we want to blame. You know, they, they're induced to blame game. But the truth is, truth is, mm-mm. Here, you can blame circumstances. You can blame, well, well, they, I quit church because of them. You know, if she hadn't, if she hadn't winked at me at the water cooler, if he hadn't winked at me at the water cooler, see, we can blame circumstances. We can blame people. You can blame the devil if you want to. Well, it's Satan's fault. But Tozer has it right. But sin always begins in the heart. Sin always begins in the heart. See, see, there's something really, really important here, and that is we have got to 
own our sin. You know, the second teaching point there is, you know, there, there will come a point, there will come a point where the failures in your life accrue faster than you can find people or excuses to blame them on. If we, if we continue this process of the blame game, okay, there will come a time when you have so many failures in your life, you run out of reasons or excuses to blame people or blame circumstances. Let me tell you one of the biggest things we need to learn as believers. We need to learn to own our sin. Before we can be forgiven, we've got to own it. The process goes like this. We sin. We go to God and say, God, I have sinned against you. No excuses. No he, she, they. No she gave it to me, he gave it to me. It's your fault, God. You simply say, God, we have sinned. But we don't want to stop there. We want to repent. We want to change our attitude and turn from that sin and then we want to follow Christ. And in the process of repentance, we own that sin. And listen, listen, listen. And when we own the sin, then God can forgive us. When we own the sin, God can forgive us. And I'm so glad. Listen, it doesn't matter what the sin is. His grace is sufficient. You cannot out... This might be good. You might want to write this down, Judy. You can't out God's grace. Woo! Shoot that thing. You cannot outsin God's grace. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Well, verse number 14. It's time for the sentencing. The judge is going to cast sentence. So in verse number 14, first God speaks to the serpent. Now again, he's not speaking to Satan at this point. He's speaking to the serpent. I, I did some research on this and I'm comfortable with this today. Here's the deal. Then the Lord God said to the serpent... Because you have done this, we'll talk about that in just a moment, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Now again, he's not speaking to Satan. He's speaking to this animal. Now, it indicates, it indicates that, that perhaps the serpent had legs and walked upright. And you know what? That doesn't even matter. We don't know, so let's don't go there. But here's what we do know that apparently, from what we read blatantly in the scriptures, is that somehow this serpent allowed itself to be used by Satan. That's pretty obvious. And here's my teaching point for you. Don't become a weapon or tool in the hands of the enemy. Don't become a weapon or tool in the hands of the enemy. Satan loves to use other believers against other believers. Satan loves to use other believers against other believers. Don't become a tool or a weapon in the hands of the enemy. So then he speaks to Satan. And I will cause, God basically says, I declare war. I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And then he says this, it's the first picture of the gospel. It's the first picture of the gospel. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. It's the first glimpse, the first promise of a gospel. It's the first promise of redemption. Let's do the first, the second part first. You know, the Bible says, you will strike his heel. And I believe you being there, Satan. Satan, you will strike his heel. And that happened on this. It was in the will and plan of God, but there Satan struck the heel for the purpose of God's 
plan of redemption. Jesus was beaten, a crown of thorns planted on his head, and nailed to a Roman cross. And depending on how much you believe that Satan has foreknowledge, he thought he won. When he saw this, and Jesus breathed his last, he thought he won. But we go all the way back to Genesis and say, no, no, no. You just, he just, you just bruised his heel all you did. Because you see, on the third day, he got up. On the third day, he got up. You, you will bruise his heel, but hey, Satan, you know, he will strike your head. And let me tell you something. I'm like you. I read the end of the book, and God wins in the end. And because God wins, we win. I love it. Yeah, amen. Amen. Yeah. I, love, I love to share it this way. Do you want to know what God, excuse me, what Satan's been doing since Genesis chapter, chapter 3 and verse 15? He's trying to stay alive. Staying alive. Staying alive. Because huh? he knows his future. God already prophesied it. Oh, Satan, you need to know something. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will crush your. Peter, Peter says, Peter, yeah, come on. Peter said, Peter said, Peter said that, that, that he will put, you know, Satan will be put under the feet to be crushed. The book of Revelation declares that Satan will be crushed. The first gospel. You may bruise him on a cross, but he will crush you ultimately in the end. There is redemption for the garden. There is redemption. There's redemption for broken marriages. There's redemption for broken lives. There, there's, oh, awesome redemption for broken souls. That Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And it doesn't stop at salvation. His grace is sufficient. Amen. So if you're here today, and perhaps you're watching on Facebook, but perhaps you're here today, and this is, this is big news to you, that it would be possible. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dwayne, you're saying it's possible for me to come in relationship with holy God, the, the God that, that I've heard all about all my life, he seems so unapproachable. You're saying there's a way I can approach him? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And it's not by works. It's not about you doing better. It's not about stopping and starting. It's about grace and faith. And if you are willing today to put your faith, to believe in Jesus Christ, then he will forgive your sins. And you can call him Father. How amazing is that? But, but don't, lose, don't lose the other big picture. Because grace doesn't stop when we're born again. It continues. See, that's the beautiful part. We didn't have time to touch it. But, you know, the fact that, that God made this prophecy or this statement about Eve that she would bear children, that was a promise that she was going to die right away. And that through her, ultimately the Redeemer would come. So, so His grace is sufficient for life, too. And listen to me. Look at me. No matter what you've done. Now, church, you need to learn this. I need to learn this. No matter what we've done, His grace is sufficient. There's forgiveness. Don't believe that lie of Satan, that God doesn't love you. God could, never, God could never love you. God could never forgive you for what you've done. That is a lie straight from hell. His grace is sufficient. And see, that's the reason some of y'all quit, quit loving God. You may, you, may, you may be listening on Facebook because you don't even feel worthy to come to church anymore. That's because you believe a lie. His grace is sufficient. He loves you, and just like the prodigal son when he came home, 
He waits to embrace you and forgive you. Isn't that just good news? Isn't it good news? So, here's the deal. Ever since the garden, family's been a little tougher. The world's been a lot tougher, but family's a little bit tougher. But the great and good news is this. There's redemption. For the broken garden, there's redemption. And it's because of God's grace. Would you bow your heads right there, please? I hope this has been an encouragement to you. And I know some of it was hard now. I know that. But I hope it was an encouragement to you. That His grace is always sufficient. Now, we always close our service with a decision time. And in just a few moments, I'll be standing down front, and the team's going to lead us in a worship song to close with. And uh, if you'd like to know more about, hey, how can I have this forgiveness you talked about? You pointed that cross factor a whole lot. And I tell you, one of the amazing things to me is that, you know, 2,000 years after his death, we're still talking about a carpenter from Nazareth. And the reason why he's the real deal. This is the real deal. Again, I already told you, this is bigger than religion. It's relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and resurrected. I'll be standing down front. If I can answer your questions, I'd be glad to do that. We've got some friends who will pray with you. Glad to do that. But maybe you're here today and you've already done that, but there's some brokenness in your heart because you know you listen to him. You listen to Satan. And you're saying, how could God love me? He does, and he can. He does love you. He can forgive you. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. So I'll be down front. If I, you want to come pray, that's awesome. And if you need to know answers about Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray. Hey, God, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing these truths today. Burn them in our heart, God. Burn them in our heart. Father, how, world, how our world is so different because of sin. But you just refuse to leave us there. You sent a way, you sent a path of redemption and forgiveness. Thank you for that. So if there's someone on Facebook or someone in this room who needs your son, would you draw them to you right now? And if there's my brother or sister who's feeling so unworthy, remove, remove that identity from them, that lie from them, and let them once again stand as a child of God because that's who they are. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.